Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week was our AAC Let's Talk About a Throwback episode, which was awesome. Um, We found that so, so helpful when we recorded that last year. So we decided to bring it back for AAC Awareness Month. So if you haven't had a chance to take a listen to that, stop, go listen, and then come back. And this week we wanted to do the same thing, a talk about a throwback, which we think we're super clever, but (laughs) just making all the taco puns. Um, But we're actually throwing it back to a dyslexia episode that we interviewed Jeanette Washington, who's on Instagram at Barely Articulating. And she was awesome. She gave us so much helpful information because I feel like as SLPs, it's really hard for us to like know where we stand with dyslexia. Um, so you'll hear our interview from that was, I guess, last year during this month, but it's also dyslexia awareness month. So make sure that you guys seek out some resources. If you're trying to learn more about that area. Definitely. So we covered some really interesting, um, questions and Jeanette had so much information. I remember when we recorded that episode, Claire and I were both like feverishly taking Mm -hmm. notes behind the scenes because we went over how SLPs are involved in the diagnosis and treatment of dyslexia, kind of red flags that you would look for, different accommodations to consider for students. Um, She even went over some examples of activities that she implements with her students and then just kind of some final thoughts um, in regards to the SLP's role with dyslexia, because like you just said, Claire, it is so like uncertain and there's a lot of, um, I feel like not misinformation, but not enough information out there about it. Yeah. And I feel like it's always a question of, okay, is it our role? Is it the reading therapist or reading specialist or interventionist? Like who is it? And she also talks about how like every state is different. So I also think that if you are interested in this topic, the first place to go to is your state rules, the who, who delegates what, um, kind of who's in charge of what, because every state I think is different. Rachel, you're in Michigan and I know that's under your umbrella now, right? It is. Yeah. And actually it's so new that my school district hasn't like fully adapted it. Mm -hmm. We're in the process of, um, some of us are getting Orton Gillingham trained, which we talked Mm -hmm. about a couple episodes ago. Um, some of us are going to go through a different program to kind of test the waters and see what's the most helpful. But I know one thing that Jeanette really talked about was that evaluation piece, which I think is what I would feel the most uncertain with right now. Not so much the treatment because um, some of that stuff kind of comes naturally to us. And overlaps. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but definitely that evaluation portion, I, I feel like at least for me is still, I'm uncertain with that. Yeah. I was, I was telling Rachel, I was looking over like my notes that I took on this episode when she 
um, when we interviewed her and she was giving us all this information. And it's so funny because it really does overlap with a lot of things that we do. Like Rachel was saying, it's, it's so ingrained in our speech, phonetics, comprehension, like all of these things that are that are relatable to dyslexia. Um, and I remember just, just a quick little tidbit, some things that she had for takeaways for SLPs to implement when you're working with kids with dyslexia um, is to implement multi-sensory supports. So having lots of different tactile, visual, verbal cues, multiple different ways, um, repetitive. So I feel like this is something I'm hearing a lot more lately. I have a lot more apraxia kids on my caseload, for example, but again, it's overlap, right? You need repetitive practice and correct repetitive practice. That's something I tell my students a lot. I feel like sometimes like we repeat, we repeat, repeat until they get it right. But then like, okay, repeat again, the correct way, because just because they get it right once doesn't mean they're going to get it right all the time. So, um, correct repetitive practice is really important. Um, she talked about incremental learning pathways, which is just like building off of what they already know, which is what we should be doing with everything we're treating. Um, and then sequential learning. So just making sure, again, you're kind of building off of different uh, skills, building off what they know, and also making sure that they're aware and know what they are working on. Um, so definitely give that a listen, you guys. We're not going to go too crazy into it because we really do want you guys to listen to what Jeanette has to say. She is the expert on this, and we really appreciated her knowledge on this topic. So let us know what you guys think. Jeanette, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for being here. I think we want to just start by asking you to tell us a little about yourself and your special area of interest in speech pathology and kind of what brought you to that interest area. Awesome. Well, as you stated, my name is Jeanette Washington, and um, I currently live in Detroit, Michigan. I um, started really... Um, like, I guess my love for speech pathology began as an undergrad student. I was looking for um, a major that would be, um, I guess would be really aligning or aligned with my interest in, in speech and, and speaking. And I was working at a local radio station at the time. And I was like, I love doing this work but I think I need to be doing more, something mm -hmm. that is more intrinsically like uh, valuable and, and adding value to uh, the world, humanity. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I recall going to my admissions counselor's office and kind of looking through all of the possibilities because I was like 18 or 19 and I came up on speech pathology. And ever since then, I've been in love with this field um, I am truly just indebted to all of those who've come before me and, and really laid that foundation for um, this field entirely. So I'll say that first. And then I will say um, after having graduated in 2011, I started working in a public school system as a speech pathologist. And I thoroughly enjoyed working as an SLP within the school, but um, it was very stressful. Mm -hmm. I found that I got burnt out really quick early on. So um, I created a private practice and I did that, that for a while. And that's when I really started to um, understand dyslexia a little bit more outside of having gone to 
graduate school and, and learning specifically about dyslexia because that was like one of the minors that I um, chose for myself. But oh. I started to see it more in my clients. And I was like, wow, this is intriguing because, you know, when I bring up the word dyslexia, parents and other SOPs and, and teachers as a whole were all kind of confused mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that was, um, that gave me, cause I'm a rebellious person <laughs> that kind of <laughs> gave me some fire to say, you know, I want to learn a lot more about this and I want to exclusively work with those with dyslexia. So, um, that's kind of the, the long form <laughs> of a short story. And then, um, after having worked with dyslexia for so long, I learned how to code. I began um, programming computers and um, I wrote a book called Technical Difficulties, Why Dyslexic Narratives Matter in Tech, because now I'm really looking at ways in which we can make the workforce more unique by adding dyslexic voices to the the mix. So that's kind of where I am now as it relates to speech pathology, dyslexia, technology, kind of in a space where I'm wanting to bring more people who are um, diverse in their their learning or diverse in their thought process into um, a space where we can all thrive at work. Awesome. I love that. And I have to say, I'm impressed that um, you were able to minor in dyslexia because that was not even, Claire and I went to graduate school together and that was not even an option. And I'm trying to remember if we even talked about like maybe in one of our language classes, but I can't even say it was probably brushed on so briefly because I don't Mm -hmm. think, I don't think we really talked about it at all. And to be clear, ladies, it was actually a um, educational major. And so, well, it was a minor rather. So Mm -hmm. I had to go to the education department and learn a little bit more about uh, dyslexia and that's how I minored in it. So it wasn't something that was kind of um, up under that umbrella of CMD or CSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to kind of tiptoe out <laughs> to find right. more resources on dyslexia. Yeah, for sure. So can you just start with telling us or telling our listeners what dyslexia is? Excellent question. Mm-hmm. I think that um, anyone who's listening is, is really intrigued by um, this word. And this word is actually Greek. Um, Dis meaning difficulty, lexia meaning language. So um, all in all, it just means difficulty with language. It's considered a language-based learning disorder. And you'll often see it annotated as SLD on an IEP, which is specific learning um, disorder. So um, dyslexia is hallmarked by uh, difficulty with associating letters and sounds, which inevitably impact uh, reading, speaking, writing, and um, just being able to articulate thoughts properly or, you know, because that is kind of subjective to say properly, but um, just being able to articulate thoughts and, and make them concise in a means where other people can understand them. It, uh, It can present difficulties with decoding, fluent word recognition, rapid uh, naming, and obviously reading comprehension skills can certainly be compromised once you get that uh, dyslexia diagnosis. Yeah, so that 
all of these words you're saying, I'm writing them down because, you know, it's all things, it's all things that we do as speech pathologists. And I think Mm -hmm. that, like you said previously, a lot of SLPs don't want to touch it because we don't know enough about it. And I am guilty of that because I, I'm not educated enough in dyslexia. So I'm, I'm so again, so happy you're here, but how I guess are SLPs involved in the diagnosis and treatment since like you said, it's difficulty associating letters and sounds, naming, reading comp, we do all of those. Um, uh-huh. So how are we kind of more deeply involved? So it would definitely depend and vary upon the school district and the okay. state as a, as a whole, because in some states, they do recognize dyslexia therapists and they have schools that have dyslexia therapists, you know, there that can provide the diagnosis and evaluation process. Um, there are some schools and districts that have uh, reading specialists. So it kind of varies, especially if you're in a school, a public school, you know, how funding can be. But um, basically, um, <clears throat> it would it would vary. So I will say that there are several components that need to be in place when it comes to, you know, that diagnosis and treatment. So you want to make sure that you are doing initially a case study. And that's something that as SOPs, we are familiar with asking those questions as it relates to your parents, their background, you know, um, understanding the the mother's birthing situation, you know, was the child uh, a preemie and and things like that those come into place and oddly enough a lot of people don't recognize that dyslexia is genetic so those questions in the beginning of that case study are going to be very useful as you are you know putting those pieces of the puzzle together Um, you want to make sure you're assessing their language oral and written Um, we're assessing the the reading their achievement their intelligence And another tidbit I'd like to say is that those with dyslexia usually have normal to above normal intelligence scores. So that's going to be another ticker that that is um, going to be important as you are assessing that uh, student. Next, we want to do articulation, which we're obviously familiar with. Uh, motor skills, and then social skills. So there is a test that exists. There's a lots of tests that exist, but one that as SOPs, we'd probably be more familiar with is TEALS. Um, it's the norm reference test, and it is standardized to identify language literacy disorders. So um, it's costly. I think the last time I saw one online, it was close to 600 bucks, but it's definitely going to be a great resource as you are bringing all of these pieces to the, to the table, these puzzle pieces to the table. So I, I know Claire, we, I think we had the tills in grad school and I think I used it briefly, but I'm not super familiar with that. I was going to say, I recognize it, but I don't think I've ever used it. Yeah. Yeah. It has about 15 subtests. It's, um, it's a goodie. I would say, um, you know, get your practice in with it beforehand so that you're familiar with um, how to utilize it. But it documents the patterns of relative strengths and weaknesses, and it also can track the changes in language and literacy over time. So it's it's an awesome test that um, I like to tell people um, that are already privy to tests that SOPs use. Um, I like to tell them about that one. Um, In addition, there are other tests, like I said previous, um, 
it's, it's just like it's a lot of screeners out there mm-hmm. um and it, it's really difficult to kind of maneuver and navigate which ones are going to be the the best or the the most useful but um i would say when it comes down to the diagnosis process um or or the evaluation process actually um, make sure that you have a multidisciplinary team involved and other people can provide insight and input if this is your first time absolutely yes so So, since we're talking about evaluations what would you mm -hmm. say are some red flags or even quick screening recommendations that you would give an slp who's kind of questioning dyslexia in a student okay great question again um some and i don't even like to to utilize red flags i'll say some, some indicators mm-hmm. <laughs> that there may be um, a presence of dyslexia. You want to look for their spelling. Um, if they spell phonetically and inconsistently, that's going to be an indicator. Um, if they read and reread a passage with a little comprehension, that's definitely an indicator. Um, if they have difficulty putting thoughts into words. I kind of mentioned that briefly earlier, Mm -hmm. but that's definitely going to be an indicator. Trouble with uh, copying what they see. You know, if a teacher is writing something on the board and she asks the student to write exactly what they see, if they have like very uh, strong reluctance to that and then they have trouble with that, then that could be an indicator as well. And then something that I find that I struggle with a lot of times, and though I had not been diagnosed with uh, dyslexia, I will say word retrieval is something that I see often as an indicator. Um, They have all of these words in their their brains, in their minds, but they cannot uh, accurately place them into, you know, into a sentence. I've had issues where, you know, I was speaking and I have like all of these really great vocab words I want to use and uh, (laughs) I kind of freeze. Mm -hmm. So I can't say that uh, again, that I have dyslexia, but that is something that I've noticed. And I was like, wow. So if they're experiencing this, you know, this this certainly has to be um, a difference that we need to take note of because it's not easy. Yeah, absolutely. So this might be a silly question and I'm sorry Uh if it is, but (laughs) just to follow up on the whole evaluation process, can SLPs diagnose dyslexia? Yes, I have seen SLPs diagnose um, dyslexia. I have seen educational psychologists uh, diagnose dyslexia. I have seen reading specialists. And again, it's it's one of those things, it's a blurred line. Right. Because again, it's going to depend on, um, you know, that state and, right. and what that state really is, uh, is affluent too. So for instance, um, I practiced speech pathology in Mississippi back in the early 2000s. And in doing so, um, dyslexia was something that the governor had. So he had like really... Um, broad uh, policies in place so that um, anybody could diagnose dyslexia. Um, it was like a, a early intervention strategy that he had put into to policy to where um, I think it was before first grade that you would be assessed 
for dyslexia. So again, mm -hmm, and and I thought that was fantastic. And when I moved to Michigan, it was like, when you say dyslexia, people were like, nobody wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to do it. So, um, and then there are accrediting organizations for um, dyslexia assessment and just intervention altogether. So it's, it's certainly one of those things that's trending, yeah. but uh, it's, it's a lot to look into. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some accommodations, I guess, to consider for students with dyslexia, especially in the classroom? Um, and then kind of going off of that in our new world now, if we are seeing those with dyslexia over telepractice, what are some accommodations there as well? I think some common telepractice accommodations would include interactive uh, graphic organizers. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that um, a student with dyslexia is able to really map out exactly what he or she is learning. So um, some really cool apps or websites that I've seen that have been helpful for creating those graphic organizers or mind maps would be um, MindMeister, Bubble US, iStorm. <clears throat> I'm sorry, it's iBrainStorm. <laughs> I keep wanting to call it iStorm. I'm, I'm thinking of iPhone or something. Oh, right. <laughs> iBrainStorm. I mean, there's a there's really a plethora of uh, applications that can help, or even software that can help with uh, building those graphic organizers, but you also want to make sure that those courses, and this is for teachers, not necessarily for SOPs, but um, that those courses are being recorded so Mm -hmm. that that dyslexic student can come back to it and and really sit down and embed that information into their, you know, their their working memory. So um, that's helpful with uh, telepractice. And, And I know as SOPs, we're really creative so we can come up with ways in which we can uh, record our lessons, or even if it's just a um, quick note where we, after our lesson, we record everything that we went over and have them look at it again. Um, I would also consider providing them with additional time for activities. I know it's hard planning. You only have that 25 or 30 minutes. And so you kind of want to cram everything in there but you have to give those students grace because um, time is gonna be one of the most crucial accommodations for those with uh, dyslexia. Next, I would say potentially, and again, this might be better suited for for educators and teachers, but I'm thinking maybe some grammar or a syntax software to help them as they are writing that would be super helpful um, in a sense of, you know, having that uh, telepractice accommodation. And then finally, um, having them be able to maybe listen to the reading passage if you're doing maybe a book with them, if you're doing a literacy activity with them um, and not always asking them to read and putting it on the spot, putting them on the Mm -hmm. spot. Maybe having some type of a, a recording that reads the story for them. Okay. Those are awesome. I know. I was just going to say, I wish our listeners could see us because Claire and I are like feverishly taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) 
so, we'll go back. I'll go back through this a bunch of times. I'm sure too, just because yeah. you're giving so much good information. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so going off of that, this is going to be another great note opportunity. Can you tell us some examples of activities that you would implement with your students that are on your caseload or that you see with dyslexia? Okay. Um, you all have been giving me some really great questions, just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> so um, I would say that four things that should be integral to your um your therapy session with someone with dyslexia we want to make sure that they have multi-sensory um, approaches in place um, we want to make sure that we are working with them incrementally and sequentially and also this might be a headache but we want to make sure we are being repetitive in a sense because um, it takes so many times for a child to, to hear a word or to see you complete an action and for them to complete it themselves, getting that practice in before they're able to master it. So the four key, um, I mean, and it's actually about seven or eight different um, like concepts within the Orton-Gillingham training and mm -hmm. within the Orton-Gillingham approach to dyslexia. But I will say as an SOP, what's really important is gonna be um, repetition, multi-sensory techniques being used, um, incremental learning pathways. So we want to kind of build off of what they've just learned. And then that will tap into uh, sequential learning. So um, when I think of those four, it, um, I easily think of some ideas that I've used that I've seen before, like salt trays, walking those sounds out kind of like hopscotch. Um, I've seen people use those Scrabble tiles to help with placement of different letter sounds, um, tapping out the sounds, maybe clapping them out and um, using sand or shaving cream for them to write. So when we talk about multi-sensory, which is really important, we wanna make sure that their senses are all involved and obviously, we, were, we might not be able to tap into their, their um, sense where they can taste it, but we do want them to be able to hear, see, and touch, because those are those three important um, multimodal modal skills. And you all have to bear with me, because I have a little nasality, so some of my, <laughs> some of my words aren't coming out good. But uh, <laughs> I am... Um, a, a little under the weather it's this oh. changing rapidly here in Michigan so yes yeah, I can vouch me. for that because I'm like <laughs> I don't know 20 minutes away from Detroit and I had the Are same you? thing this weekend oh, it's the worst <laughs> awful isn't it yeah I'm not I'm not happy I'm not a happy camper <laughs> <laughs> Well, we appreciate those. Those are all such good ideas. Um, any, I guess any takeaways, we are kind of out of questions, I think for you, but any last minute thoughts that you want to make sure that those listening know about dyslexia, especially for those that are maybe new to that specialty area. Um, okay. So what I would suggest, and um, I'm giving you advice that I've taken myself is depending Great. on what state you work in, you have to, to kind of be a politician a bit in the fact that you have to learn all the policies around dyslexia or around special education and how it's classified. And then from there, you can 
definitely start making your way towards understanding how you can um, really make an impact as an SLP. Because again, I want to tap back into how some states, you know, SLPs don't necessarily have to uh, evaluate the, the child because they have so many other people in place, like those educational psychologists and, you know, and those reading specialists. But I think it just starts with understanding what is, you know, what's going on in your state, the status of your state, and then making moves accordingly. That's what I would uh, suggest. And you can do that by visiting um, International Dyslexia Association and um, putting in your state. And that way you can find out about the organizations like the Coding Dyslexia or um, any organization that is doing some advocacy work or really doing a lot of intervention within that scope of um, special education. And um, you can kind of start really paving your way once you know what is uh, acceptable in that state. Such good advice. And I think that that's um, something that's different, I think, for SLPs, because we're not used to needing to branch out to all these other organizations for help yeah. diagnosing and things like that. So that kind of yeah. sets this apart from everything. But well, I think that's all we have. We appreciate you being on here, Jeanette. Like we said, we've learned so much from you in the short half hour that we've been with <laughs> us. I can't even believe it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Jenna, am... you've been awesome. Is there, can you let our uh, listeners know where they can find you on Instagram? Oh, sure. So um, my account is barely underscore articulating and the barely is going to be spelled like an actual bear, <laughs> B-E-A-R-L-Y underscore articulating, which is spelled the traditional way. And um, you can also check out my website. I have my book on there, which discusses some really cool concepts for those in our lives who are dyslexic and they want to gain some um, employment or they want to look into how they can really make change after they graduate from high school. So um, that's on my website. My website is barelyarticulating.com. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing all of your, your questions coming in <laughs> via my, my Insta or um, some thoughts and comments. Absolutely. Thank you so much again. We appreciate it. Thanks. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions, or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.